Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Greg, how are we doing today? Very good. Uh, as always. As always. You're like just steady Eddie. <laughs> it's like that Jerry Seinfeld episode where he's always even. He's always even. Right. Always breaks even. This could be. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld and Greg White. All right. Looking forward to this conversation here today. We're going to be talking, Greg, with a business leader that is with an organization helping out Hundreds of companies work a lot better and more profitably with some of the biggest retailers out there. And today, we're also going to be talking a lot about Amazon, and I promise you it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Greg, are you ready for this one? Always. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. So I love it when we get to talk retail, right? So One of our favorite topics indeed. Okay, so I want to introduce our featured guest here today. Our guest is an ex-Amazonian. I think I said that right and a well-experienced Amazon vendor, especially on the software and the agency side. In fact, Greg, you could say he's a true expert in Amazon's uh, vendor central operational compliance, as well as a supply chain sleuth, which seems to make for quite the one-two punch. But get this, Greg, there's more. As our guest has leveraged his recovery expertise to reclaim some $100 million for vendors out in industry. So, with that said, I want to welcome in Sean Olson, the Retail Insights Manager for Amazon at Supply Pike. Sean, how you doing? Doing great. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Greg. Great to yeah, be here. Good to have you. Man, we have, we're going to dive into a lot of what we just shared in terms of your background. So great to have you here. But first, Greg, but first, yeah. we love talking beyond supply chain, music, sports, and food. And we've got an interesting warm-up question here because as we learned pre-show, Greg, Sean loves music, and he's also a DJ in his free time. So, Sean, what's some of your favorite genres? Oh, man, I will admit that I've got quite the eclectic taste, but anything that's funky and groovy gets you moving and dancing is stuff that I like. So you can go from electronic dance music all the way to 80s synth pop, even back into some jazz and funk music. All that kind of stuff is up my alley. Man, okay. So, Greg, when you heard that, not to put mm -hmm. you on the spot. Is there one band or one song or one concert that might come to your mind, Greg? And let's see if he likes it. Uh, well, I mean, I think of, I immediately went to 70s funk because that's what I was raised on by my parents. So, yeah, I would have to say Cool in the Gang. Some of their old stuff is really good. Jungle Boogie is one of my faves. I'm pretty sure I've got Jungle Boogie on vinyl. It's let's a classic. It. Let's roll it right now. <laughs> Might have to pull it out and start dancing. Oh, that's so right. All right. So, Greg and Sean, I know there's going to be lots of musical references and analogies throughout the conversation now that we've identified that is another one of your passions, Sean. So, just keep them coming. You and Greg, but all right. We had a great show with some of your colleagues at Supply Pike not too long ago. We got a lot of great feedback around that. But what we want to do for any of our new audience members around the globe, Let's just level set. Tell us briefly, Sean, what Supply Pike does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just to start, our, our motto is get paid, get better. 
And what we do essentially is build software tools and applications for brands, manufacturers, CPGs alike to help manage deductions and provide root cause analysis. So this is done for a number of different retailers, primarily Walmart, Kroger, Target, and of course, Amazon. All right. So Greg, that phrase, get paid and get better, that we had a lot of fun with that. It resonated a ton on the previous show, but Greg, what, when you hear what Supply Pike does, your thoughts? Yeah, you had me at get paid. I mean, <laughs> so this is a challenge that a lot of retailers on these platforms face is the reconciliation of their payment and that sort of thing. So uh, I... Just to clarify, Sean, are you capturing, they call it spillage or something like that, that where Amazon may lose track of it and the retailer doesn't get, or the brand or whatever does not get paid? Is that what it is? Yeah, I I think that is one of the things that we help manage is essentially shortages or shortage claims whenever the retailer claims that they haven't identified or received the inventory that the brand or the manufacturers ship them in that process. Yes, so that is one of the things that we manage and the number of different deductions that can happen with these retailers. So these are compliance-based deductions, late delivery or whatever, right? Or even damaged goods as well? Yeah, so there's a number of different ways to look at it. I think those are a couple of great examples. Really, there's a difference between the trade and the non-trade. So things that are agreed upon contractual deductions. But the other side of the coin to that is, as you mentioned, things like compliance fines, shortages, damages, things like that. Great clarifying questions, Greg. I think a lot of our listeners are with us now in terms of what Supply Pike does. And one other thing I was going to share is as much as we love to get paid, we love to get better too. And so do the retailers because they want strongly performing suppliers. So everyone wins here. All right. So, you know, Greg and I talk about Amazon as the big A all the time. And this is interesting because with your background, having spent time at Amazon, I want to ask you, what's one thing that might surprise folks about working at the big A? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like there's lots of interesting like rumors and, and buzzwords and things that people talk about the culture. And I think one of the things for me is just the empirical nature of the culture. I think it's very process focused. It's very data driven. And I think sometimes maybe seemingly to a fault, but it's a, it's an interesting place to operate as far as even in conversations with your manager, if you're not coming to the table with data to underscore your point and kind of drive what you're feeling home, you're going to have a bad time. So I think that's just one of those really interesting things that is very different than a lot of places people are previously. Yeah, that's a great call out. And Greg, I tell you, as he was describing, that reminds me a lot of your MO, right? Data-driven, give me examples, what's going on out there. Greg, speak to what that culture he just described at Amazon. Be right often, right? Isn't that one of the core principles? Yeah. And at the same time, move fast, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's a really important part of the culture. So I have worked with Amazon, not at Amazon, and seen it firsthand. And it is ingrained and it has a lot to do with the fact that Jeff Bezos is a very financially minded founder and leader and basically required that kind. It doesn't seem like it, right? When you think about a company that lost billions and billions of dollars for nigh on 20 years, but it was all part of the plan as we now see, right? Mm. And yet they had always had really solid eyes on the key financial metrics for a sound company. And then they just 
sent that throughout the rest of the organization for every bit of operation. And it is clinical at times, but I think when you're a big operation like that, it has to be. Well said, Greg. Uh, and I love the word, that word, that clinical word. It really kind of paints a picture. All right, good stuff. Let's, let's switch over here. And I love clarifying these conversations because we want our audience to come with us. And to that extent, yeah. some of our listeners may not be familiar with this, what we call Amazon Vendor Central. So describe to us what that is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would say just to frame it up for everyone as well, every retailer, including Amazon, has got their own unique portal or set of portals that their suppliers or vendors use in order to manage their business with that retailer. So this really can include just a full spectrum of different things, whether that's your item setup, catalog management, your PO confirmation, all the way to the fun stuff that we manage, like your invoicing, your payments, deduction management, and things like that. Vendor Central is just Amazon's specific portal for managing business with them. Another way that I could frame it up is this is the 1P side, the first party side of Amazon's business, where they're operating more as the traditional retailer, mm-hmm. as opposed to the 3P side, where that's the seller marketplace. Right. I think that's helpful. And Greg, you're nodding your head a lot through that. Any additional thoughts there you think folks should understand? Yeah, no, I think that, I think what's important to understand is it is very common. It's just Amazon at, in their identity as a retailer is adopting a lot of the same principles that every retailer does. And, and Sean, you mentioned Walmart and someone else, but uh, it's very similar. It goes back to when, to my old retail days, right? You know, the true fact here is this is sort of how you whip your suppliers into shape, right? Is you understand the motivations and the various offenses that they have bestowed upon you and, and then you build boundaries and whatnot to make sure that they perform up to snuff because it does cost the retailer money when they're late or ship short or products are damaged, whatever. Right. And Sean, with you and the supply pike team, you're a bit of an equalizer, right? To help maybe make that process a little less painful and certainly more profitable. We're going to get to more of that in just a second. Let's talk about, let's set the table a bit with some current trends, especially those that you've observed in the vendor landscape related to Amazon and speak to us about how these trends influence operational compliance in Amazon vendor central. Let's take these one by one. What's the first one, Sean? Yeah, I think kind of taking everything from the 100,000 foot view, high level, there's a couple of things that I'm seeing. And the first one is just in general, maturity and understanding of e-commerce. And this includes compliance. So I think that's the first one that I've observed. And Greg, we talk about the maturity uh, curve all the time as it relates to all all types of things. Your thoughts? Uh, It's the Wild West out there. I mean, I'm sure Sean sees it every day. I mean, there are people who just throw a side up and are drop shipping. I mean, you can see it all over everywhere. YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, be a drop shipper and they think that some sort of magic occurs when they put a site up and pick a few items from AliExpress or whatever that they're going to sell to people. Right. Um, and it's not very sophisticated. I actually have a young man that is in um, a program that I support that he really thought he could do that. It was kind of cute and funny at the same time, but he came around really quick. And so when you're in that environment where so many people are becoming so entrepreneurial, some of them don't have a really sound business plan or aren't driven by metrics or even really anything other than they think it's as easy as it sounds when whoever tells them 
to start drop shipping, right? Or whatever, whatever they're telling them. Right. They're infatuated maybe with the art of the possible and all the potential but out there, perhaps. I don't know. That's not everybody out there, but that's the extreme example that he talks about when he talks about maturity. I mean, there are all the way up to the biggest brands in the world on Amazon as well. So, and even they have varying levels of maturity because they may or may not have been in direct commerce before, right? They're used to shipping to stores, not, not shipping to the consumer or right. how to market to the consumer to motivate them to buy. So Sean, before we move on to your second trend, anything, anything you want to uh, add to what Greg was sharing in, as you laid out the first trend here? Yeah, I think Really over time, I've seen an, an increase in maturity, even though I completely agree with Greg, there's a vast disparity with a lot of customers that we work with in this space. And you'd be surprised with even big name brands that are, are seemingly pretty green in the e-commerce space. But really the past few years and given everything with the pandemic and um, kind of having that as a forcing function for a lot of folks that if they weren't already getting educated in the space, they're already behind. So. It really is a thing where past few years for a select few or for a larger number, rather, it's been a forcing function to, to get on board where you need to learn e-commerce. You need to understand compliance. Mm. Yeah. Excellent point there. All right. So let's move to your second trend. And if you would share what it is and unpack it a little bit more, and then we'll, we'll, we'll keep commenting on the conversation. Yeah. I think the next big thing, and it, and it ties into the first point a little bit, but it's shifts in organizations and it's both in their structure, like their teams and how they're organized, as well as just their goals and priorities. And I think, again, this is to adapt and with the shift and trends and getting a little bit more in line in order to manage that e-commerce business more streamlined and effectively. Mm. Greg, speaking of all those shifts out in the industry. I think we're seeing a lot of that as well. Your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. A lot of organizations built their e-com business as essentially as separate business. Are they starting to reconcile that with their bricks and mortar business? Or when you say shift, are they? Yeah. I think, um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's for teams before that had a dedicated e-com team. It might actually be breaking that down and integrating it into a broader part of their sales strategy in general. So less silos, less division between brick and mortar versus e-com and having everything be more of a combined business. I think I've also seen the exact opposite where everything's been very siloed within brick and mortar orgs. And they said, hey, we basically need to build a specialty team that's organized differently in order to be able to manage our e-commerce business. So it's kind of dependent on organizations that I've seen, but it is interesting that it's been kind of the either or split, whether it's Again, getting a specific e-com team or kind of breaking down some of those traditional silos in order to be more effective on e-com. I think, I think a lot of that in the early days stemmed from, because I experienced this, Staples was a great example. Used to be the second most popular website on the web way back really? when, right behind ESPN. And what they did was largely because of organizational structure. So the, the store ops people didn't want their bonus impacted by this new experiment called e-commerce. So they created a whole separate entity, which created a ton of in inefficiency in the organization. And I think what a lot of companies are realizing is that there is actually more synergy than inefficiency and sure, give them different metrics, but let's use same or similar or adapted infrastructure because it's better. And it also creates more opportunities. If you have a vast network of stores like Staples does, 
it creates a great delivery network. I mean, Amazon is spending billions to be within eight miles of every house in the world, basically. And Staples is already there. And, and dozens of other bricks and mortar retailers are already there. And I think we forgot a little bit about during COVID. But now that people are back in stores, and as Sean talked about, this maturity level has increased so substantially. I think people are starting to realize that their retail outlets are really, really valuable in terms of a delivery station, which what Amazon called kind of their last mile. Mm, excellent point. Excellent point. Several there. All right. So, Sean, keeping track at home, trend number one was a wild, wild west, but you're seeing increased maturity. Number two was all the shifts and some of the silo busting that Greg and I would talk a lot about, right? Yes. With good reason. And now what's the third trend? Yeah, I think the other one is just an advancement of technology that's kind of happened over time as well. And then it seems like an arms race between both the retailers as well as these brands and, and manufacturers to either adopt or to adapt. And it's saying like, we're either adapting to what the retailer's doing or we're adopting some of it to combat it. And it's really interesting to see kind of this arms race that's happening, whether that's across the retailers, Amazon, Walmart, Target, for example, or just what some of these brands are, are starting to arm themselves with in order to, with some of these issues that the retailers might be causing, or just to work with them more efficiently. Going back to music, because there was a great country song in the early 90s, and I cannot remember the artist, but it was Time Marches On. But to your third trend there, it is tech marches on this arms race that you're uh, describing. Greg, I know you're ready to jump in on this uh, third trend. Well, I have to confess, I was a retailer in the 90s. And so I'm very familiar with why it became an arms race, because it was a very adversarial relationship. We spent, as a retailer, a lot of energy trying to make sure that the, our suppliers didn't know who our customers were, so they wouldn't go direct to them and steal them which I always thought meant we didn't add enough value as retailers and we were afraid of the fact that we didn't add enough value. What I think we've come to learn is that retailers added a ton of value in the supply chain and now, and only now, are manufacturers and brands starting to get a flavor for that. Yes, it does cost money to, where's that? It does cost money to take products off a pallet and sell a case or out of a case and sell an each and all of that. And there, there are significant inventory commitments to that as well, because when you're at the consumer level, you have to consider that the consumer is very fickle and that you have to provision for that with things like safety stock or in a store presentation stock. Because as I was taught as a young retailer, if you look out of business, you are out of business. Ooh. So sometimes you have inventory in a retail store just for viewing pleasure as a great retail master once told, once told. Yeah. So there are all kinds of dynamics that I think these brands are coming to understand. And it's similar, the reliability of being able to ship quickly and in the right quantity is a similar discussion, even in e-commerce, because retailers have been doing it for far longer than brands have. Mm. And some brands, have, as Sean has talked about, they've caught up faster. Some have lagged, right? Some use outside parties to help them bridge that gap. But anyway, it's interesting, the dynamic, because it has been such an adversarial relationship. And I think it really depends on it. I think Nike has a decent model. If you want super customized shoes, come to Nike, but you can still go to Academy or Dick's Sporting Goods or wherever else and get Nike. Hmm. I, I go back and Sean, I'm gonna give you the last word on these trends, but I love okay. Greg Whiteism 
If you look out of business, you are out of business. So y'all mark that down. If you're listening from home, that's a good one. And also Tracy Lawrence. Greg Gorley, actually, if we're going to appropriate, if we're going to, yeah, if we're going to, okay. we're going to credit Gourley. that, we should appropriately credit to All right. the greatest retailers I ever so, knew, Greg Gorley. Yeah. So Greg, if you're out there listening, thank you for your contributions Indeed. to industry and retail. And big thanks to Catherine behind the scenes. Tracy Lawrence was the country singer that, that wrote and sung Time Marches On. So Sean, your last word on these three trends, because that third one was that advancement of tech and the arms race. Your final thought there. Yeah, and this will come up a little bit later, I think, as well. But really just leaning into technology. Now that it's here, it's not going anywhere. And I think just to keep pace, it's something that you need to learn how to leverage for your business as opposed to something that we'll get to it later. It's something for down the road. It's it's something to embrace and to get on board, but sooner rather than later from my point of view. And it's just going to help with all of those things and trends that I mentioned. Well, that we talked about that earlier today. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a great point of view. Agreed. I mean, it's an absolute necessity with the pace at which retail, actually all business operates today and the wealth of data that helps you be better, get paid and get better. (laughs) I think you have to take advantage of that. Embrace the data, right? Yes, yes. It's like Groundhog Day around here while we're making 90s references. We talk a lot about these themes quite a bit. And so, Sean, great point. Great way to kind of cap off that trend section of our conversation. I want to move to best practices, right? And I'm really looking forward to hearing. I think you've got three established best practices. There's plenty of others, but three you're going to share here today when it comes to adapting to changes in Amazon's policies and procedures, particularly in deductions and compliance. So give us all three, Sean, and we're going to weigh in with some comments. Yeah. Um, this is really interesting. And I think it, from my perspective, this is based on some experience and uh, a good amount of trial and error, trust me. Um, but really the three main things here, it, it all comes down to having a plan and having a strategy, right? Like you need to have something in place that you can rinse and repeat so that you're just not rebuilding the wheel from scratch. Every time a problem comes up or something new changes, for example. So like the the underlying sentiment in all of this is have a plan, have a strategy, have some goals that you can measure. And then as far as the the three things that I would include as those best practices, the the first one is just validation, right? And it it seems arbitrary right now. I'll I'll get into some more details about that. There's validation, and then there's going to be a root cause analysis or deduction management, right? These are kind of the three things that I would say are in the tool belt. And we're framing this around deductions and and managing changes with Amazon's policies. It's absolutely crucial that you understand the rules of engagement with Amazon and their terms and conditions. And I think this is one of the missteps I see often is just that people don't do their due diligence in reading that long vendor manual that Amazon provides as far as what are all of the things that I need to abide by and comply with. And that leads into the first point with validation is that anytime there's a fine or an infraction or something, it's a challenge or an opportunity to determine like, who's at fault, who done it, right? And based on those terms and conditions, we have some information that'll help us make that determination. And then from there, that decision gets to the next two points, which is kind of like a decision tree, a split in the road that says, based on our assessment or based on our analysis, we either have root cause, we have to fix, we have to go find it and fix it, or we have to go hold that retail partner accountable because they're the ones that goofed and we need to have 
a sophisticated streamlined process in order to efficiently manage all of these things, especially at scale. So we're talking about, again, this end-to-end strategy, these best practices, just have a plan. But ideally, that plan should include a way to validate all of these claims that are coming in. And then from there, either fix the problems that could be on your side that you're causing, whether that's in the process, kind of a one-time thing or a recurring systematic issue, or hold your resale counter uh, partners accountable by going through the dispute process and doing that also as efficiently and as effectively as possible. All right. So Sean, to recap the TikTok version, maybe uh, <laughs> plan, have a plan, validate, solve for root cause. And Greg, what the other big important call out there is the T's and C's. You better know those terms and conditions or you're going to be getting in trouble in a hurry. Greg, your thoughts? Do your due diligence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, don't set yourself up for failure. I ran a company that set themselves up for failure with Amazon right from the get-go. And it was unrecoverable because they are ruthless defenders of their rights, which every company should be, right? But yeah, I mean, that's part of being in business is understanding the T's and C's. That's not all of it, though. I mean... I think what Sean has described is a critical part of what working with any company, but especially Amazon. Yeah. Great point there, Greg. All right. So Sean, we're going to keep driving because I want to talk about, you know, we've all referenced not just the dynamic nature of e-commerce, but as Greg called it out, it's the dynamic, dynamic nature of business in general right now. So what challenges do vendors commonly face when navigating Amazon vendor central and if you can speak to how you've seen these challenges evolve over time, I think we're going to speak to three of them. So go ahead and lay those out for us. Sure. Yeah. And there's just a, a litany of different challenges that anyone faces with dealing with Amazon, but really kind of bucketing it all together in, in three main things. I think uh, the first one's just going to be data management and consolidated reporting, right? Just how do we get data out of here? How do we find meeting? How do we communicate that effectively and consistently? I think the second point is going to be difficulty with processes, whether that's dispute processes or et cetera, that being challenging, tedious, convoluted, confusing, et cetera. That's just another big one that we hear and face all the time. The last one might be a little specific or a little nuanced to Amazon. It really is just very little or lack of support from folks like vendor managers or other internal teams. So especially when we're talking about the traditional relationship-based, you know, selling into your brick and mortar with your buyer, that type of relationship just doesn't exist with Amazon. So those are the three main things that I would say, like real high-level buckets of where folks struggle in working with Amazon and specifically on Vendor Central. So before we, we weigh in with some comments, speak to a little bit more, give us a little bit more in terms of how the, those three have evolved over time. And if you had to pick one, in terms of the one, and then yeah. there's plenty of other challenges, as you mentioned, yeah. but if you had to pick one that trips up organizations time and time again, speak to that if you would. Yeah, I think really a, a lot of what I was mentioning earlier too, with just the forcing function of the pandemic, and I think the explosion of e-com growth, like in one year, it was like 5x what was, what was projected previously. That again, if you didn't have a plan in place, and if you didn't have a strategy in place, you basically just got overwhelmed with volume. So when I'm thinking about the, the data and the reporting, it really is just a thing. You, if you don't understand like your baseline and that you can track, like how big is the problem, then it's really tough to manage all of those other things downstream. 
So again, just the volume and stuff this is coming in, maybe the lack of, of tech savvy, considering Amazon's a lot more data-driven and focused than working with some of these other retail partners, for example, where if you don't have the accessibility and visibility to the data, it makes it extraordinarily challenging to even work with Amazon in a way that's effective, right? If you don't have the data to speak to them in a way that they understand, then again, you're going to have a bad time. So I think that's one of the main things that I would say is just understanding the data, getting it out of Vendor Central into something that's uniform outside of just Excel pivot tables and pulling data endlessly. That would be probably one of the biggest fundamental challenges I feel like I hear consistently with vendors and and dealing with Amazon. So Greg, for the record, we don't want any of our listeners having a bad time. So we're glad to have Sean and Greg offering up some expertise here. So Greg, when you hear those challenges, what comes to your mind there? Well, first, when he said having a bad day, Dweezil Zappa immediately came to mind. Great song if you were alive in the 80s. But thanks to his father for begetting him with all that talent. But I think the thing that just struck me squarely between the eyes as Sean was talking about this latest point was you need an intermediary. With Amazon, you need an intermediary. Because as I think about this, they are impatient. And they don't really want to coach you and they're not really equipped to coach you through your learning curve, right? They just want you to know what you need to do and do it. And I thought about during question before this, what Sean and his organization really bring is the credibility with Amazon and the knowledge. And as he said, just recently, the knowledge of how to work with Amazon. And that's so incredibly valuable. It saves the vendor time and it saves Amazon time, it makes the relationship that much stronger because those little strains makes Amazon, especially, I mean, depending on the size or uh, the profitability of it for Amazon, those strains become decision points when they go, is this vendor really worth continuing to work with, right? Is this retailer really worth continuing to carry on the marketplace? All, All of those things, right? So if you can eliminate all of those little annoyances in the interaction and the relationship, you can get a lot bigger pass depending on the other aspects of your relationship with Amazon regarding gross margin or volume or whatever else. Right. That's a great call out, Greg. And going back to how we introduced uh, Sean's background, clearly lots of organizations have been leveraging his know-how of having no how it works and what they expect and shorten that learning curve. You know, as we mentioned, hundred million dollars that you've been able to help organizations reclaim for folks out in the industry. Just get uh, that right. small piece of that for yourself. All right. That's right, Sean. Hopefully so. You got it. A nest egg piled away, but hey. <laughs> no, I didn't mean for Sean. Oh. I mean, if you, your business wants a little piece of that, call Sean. Oh, that's, well, Sean. you know, I was, I was thinking. I'm not he, saying Sean's like cutting people, right? It's not like. <laughs> I was thinking it's not even point more. shaving or <laughs> 10 points off of big or anything like that. Sean, I guess I was giving you too much credit, my friend, but that's a big track record that you've had out there. So I know we're talking a lot about you and some folks don't like talking about themselves, but, you know, speak to you would, if you would, to that point, Greg was making organizations want to lean on folks that know how this stuff works, right? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like as far as specialists in, in the space, there are, uh, You've been far between, especially when we start into the nitty gritty of kind of deduction management in particular, but 
Yeah, I I feel like it is something in in the retailer space, whether that's specific to Amazon and and how they operate again, very process oriented, data driven. I think Greg made a fantastic point, and this is having been on the other side myself. Like they just expect you to know what to do, and if you don't, to figure it out. <laughs> so and don't mess it, up in the meantime, right? Yeah, and they are very unforgiving. There's no mulligans, yeah. right? So having a partner there to help guide you along the way, whether that's someone that's uh, more of a strategic advisor, consultant, or someone who's more of like a software technology partner, I think it is fundamental to growing your business, or at least feeling like you've got some confidence and a good foundation to continue to grow. Mm. Well said there. No mulligans. That's an excellent time. Yeah, no mulligans. That's a great thing. Um, so now we're going to get we're going to get a couple anecdotes as we've talked about time and time throughout the conversation. It's ever evolving technology landscape, the arms race, as Sean, as you kind of put it out there. So with that in mind, if you could give us some real examples uh, that we can all kind of even picture of some yeah. successful strategies you've seen vendors utilize to optimize their operations with Amazon Vendor Central. Yeah. So there's a couple things that I'll give you, and one of them is going to be a little bit more of uh, an overarching theme, and it ties into what I was saying earlier. It's just embracing technology. Amazon's got their own specific approach that they call hands off the wheel. So this is something that I would also recommend. Like if that's Amazon's approach, match that approach too. Like try and lean into that and managing your business hands off the wheel with Amazon as well. And then more specifically, the way that, that I would recommend it, it's kind of more buzzwords, catchphrases and stuff, but it's consolidate and automate, right? So this is the one that I'll say, like, it's just a general strategy, but this is consolidating your data, your reporting, and then automating as many of those menial mundane tasks as possible. And, you know, I'm again, focused very specifically in the deduct deduction management space, but on Amazon, there's just so many different processes that are involved in managing that business that don't necessarily deliver a ton of value. So there's opportunity out there, again, to consolidate, streamline, and automate large portions of your business. With all of this time and resources that you're saving, this is where I'll get into more of the specifics about actually optimizing things, right? And there's a number of different things that folks can do and that I've seen. And a lot of them just have to do with process improvements, still along the lines of automation. But some of the things in particular have to do with the order processing and order management and essentially connecting that with a live inventory feed. So no one has to go and check a system to make sure that we've got stock and inventory in order to confirm an order. Just happens automatically. Same thing with communicating with Amazon via EDI, for example, might be an archaic form of, of data communication, but still something that uh, Amazon, as well as other retailers, re rely on heavily. Right. Uh, so finding ways to streamline processes there. Again, how do we make EDI work for us as opposed to against us? And using that as something as automated to where instead of someone having to click submit or to process something in order to get it out the door, just having something that looks more streamlined with that day-to-day -day system. I think there are a couple of other things too, but has to do with like relabeling or repackaging. So if we think about e-commerce, it's how do we get things as quickly as possible from A to B? And if we've got issues with packaging or with labeling, for example, that just means it's got to go sidelined, the sad path in the fulfillment center where someone's got to manually receive it. So there's smart labeling, you know, carton labeling that helps 
go through that automated receipt process or just redesigning and repackaging things to flow a little bit more streamlined through that receipt process is also helpful. Right. Eliminate touches on retouches and re-re-retouches. Greg, weigh in on, on, on some of those examples, those practical examples that Sean shared. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, you've got to make it easy for them, right? And all of these things, especially as we've said, embrace the technology. All these things can be facilitated by the incredibly advanced technology that Amazon has. I mean, they have 2 million square foot warehouses with 12 people working in them, and eight of those people are maintenance. So they are leaning heavily into automation. And if you want to, I think it's a great, Sean, you've said this many times, forcing function. I think it's a great forcing function to cause brands and other retailers to come into the 90s of this kind of automation. Because some of this stuff has been being done for decades, let's face it. And if you're still that far behind, catch up. Right. And when you have a platform opportunity like Amazon, it is to your benefit to do it. If you don't do it, they're going to charge you to do it or they're going to reject you for not doing it. So you're better off to enable it. It's not as costly as it used to be. And it, and there are all kinds of tools that can work. And then of course, there are people like Sean who can guide you through these processes and help you understand what you need to do to avoid all, avoid, frankly, having to do all the reconciliation that supply pike does, right? I mean, right. that's not the goal. It's going to happen, but it doesn't have to happen on the scale that it's happening for your business today. I'm sure Sean, the folks at supply pike would still be glad to take your money if they weren't doing a million dollars a month on your behalf, right? If it was only 500 K, they'd probably still take your money. <laughs> just uh, to the middle part of your point there, Greg, just do it. Just do it. You don't, going back to what Greg Gorley said, if you don't do it, you might look like you're out of business. And if you look like you're out of business, you are out of business. business. Right. And just like we've enjoyed this little chat with Sean, not only are you going to be able to get paid and get better, which wins for everybody, but you can talk really cool music with uh, Sean as well, right. which I think will make it worth your time. Right. We just introduced or Catherine just introduced him to a new artist. So right. maybe he'll share his perceptions on that. Absolutely. Yeah. I right. always love hearing new stuff. So I'm happy to share. Obviously talk shop, but if you guys want to chat music too, I'm all ears. There you go. That is awesome. All right. So Sean, I really wish we had a couple more hours with you. I think you're a cool, I, I told you on the front end, I felt good vibes and kindred spirits with kind of how you viewed things and just how your general disposition. And I think the last kind of this conversation kind of bears that out. So if folks want to tap into what you know, your expertise, the cool things you're doing at Supply Pike or talk music, let's face it, or New Mexico, maybe. How can they connect <laughs> or with Tulsa. you? Or Tulsa. Or Tulsa. That's right. Yes. Uh, how can they connect with you, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will say I'm not the biggest person on social media, but you can find me on LinkedIn. And of course, you can reach out to me via email. I think we'll share all of my contact information. So if folks do want to talk shop or get the latest music recommendations, again, more, more than happy to have folks connect and reach out. Love that, Sean. Really enjoyed our time and really appreciate your uh, your journey and your point of view and expertise and how you're leveraging out there in industry. And I bet all those big retailers we've talked about are very appreciative as well. All right. So, Greg, we're going to get your final takeaway, patented favorite takeaway in just a second. But thanks to Sean Olson, the Retail Insights Manager for Amazon, 
at Supply Pike, who's on the mood doing some really cool things. Of course, connect with Sean on social, or you can learn more at Supply Pike. That's Supply Pike, P-I-K-E.com. All right, Greg. Yep. We covered a lot of ground here. Really great chat with Sean. Appreciate his point of view and what he's been doing. But what was your favorite part of today's discussion? Uh, the realization that so many, whether they are advanced brands or new brands, who are challenged by the, let's just pick just the Amazon environment. They have, I mean, they have hope because it's a very complex and confusing environment and you go into it all at once. You don't get to dip your toe in the water. When you're in business with Amazon, everything that comes with Amazon eventually comes immediately. So knowing that there's someone who's waded these waters before and can help you navigate them more effectively and also can help you connect with the natives when you land on Amazonian shores and make sure that you're speaking the same language that they are and giving them what they need and getting from them what you deserve. I mean, I just think that is it bodes for a lot of hope for a lot of these newer entrepreneurs or some of these nascent brands or even some advanced brands that are still dipping their toe in the water or even brands that have done this but aren't very good at it yet. It feels, I can't believe I'm going to say this, it's almost like a shortcut to success to do this and make sure that you get paid and and get better, but mostly paid. Almost all paid. That's right. (laughs) Almost all paid. So if I'm cherry picking here, so because there's no toe dips and because there's no mulligans, Mm. connect with Sean, the supply pike team. So there's no bad days, right? There's no bad days. All right. So Sean, really appreciate you being with us here today. We hope to see you again soon. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you. And likewise, really enjoyed it. Scott, Greg, thank you again so much. Yeah, we'll have you back. Greg, always a pleasure. I really enjoyed any time talking retail with you. I enjoy your expertise as well. Yeah, well, thank you. Sean brought it strong. So, and you know, I did have that sort of realization kind of throughout the show. I hope more people do and and realize that it could be easier. I mean, that's it's as simple as that, isn't it? Right. I love having these discoveries. Great. I do too. So on behalf of the whole team here at Supply Chain Now, Hey, take something you heard here. I mean, there's a ton. There's a truckload of stuff, right? Take at least just one thing. Put it in action. Share with your team. Share it with your your organization. But put it into action. There's a better way. As Greg and Sean both are preaching out there in the wilderness. There's a better way, and your people will appreciate it. So, all right, with that said, hey, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.